We have Adam and Eve at the very beginning, this incredible garden and this beautiful moment, and there's some kind of sin, some kind of tree in this garden, and a lot of people struggle with that. Why would you build such a beautiful place and then put a temptation in it? But I get it. I kind of understand it, because true love is not really love if you have no option to say no to it, right? And so I kind of understand the concept of, all right, I'm going to give you all of this, and then put this one thing in there so you have the option to say no. So that when you say yes, it's real. And I don't know how long it took, but for some reason we chose the harder path. So the Bible continues and shows miracle after miracle and these people groups and the Israelites. And we watch this in and out relationship sort of happen until we get to Jesus. And then Jesus comes embodying all that God is. And he walks the earth. And we get to see everything that God wants to show us of who he is. And then he pays the ultimate price, dies on the cross, and has that incredible, victorious rise from the dead. And then that, that moment happens in this resurrection, and it's the forgiveness of all of our sins. It's the climax to the story. And then he leaves. You have to step back a moment and go, wait, 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 wait. If I was making the movie, like if I made Passion of the Christ, the way I would end it is the resurrection, and then we'd all go up, and it's this awesome, beautiful ending to the story. I believe that's how the actual movie ended, Passion of the Christ, and we saw that just there. That's, that's the beautiful ending, but that's not the ending that we got. Instead, the ending that we got is Jesus leaves and leaves us here to figure the rest out. Here we are in a world that's so confusing and so weird. I mean, what's happening even right now, you're like, oh, this world is messed up, and I don't understand it, and we have to figure it out while we're here. Why, God? Why would you leave us to figure all of this out? And if you're asking questions like that, you're in good company, because that's exactly what the disciples ask in John 14:1. When he says this, his answer to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Okay, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And this is where I like Thomas, this doubting Thomas. He gets this famous name. He's the guy that always steps up and goes, wait, wait, wait. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. Where are you going? I don't get it. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, what's interesting is Jesus is telling us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This place, which we call heaven, in the Greek, this word is uranos. We see this word, uranos, 274 times throughout the Bible. That means something. He created the earth. There's a few verses about it. And then he says, I'm going to go and prepare something else. And in our mind, earth took like this long, right? Just days. And then 274 times he talks about this heaven place where I'm going to go and I'm going to spend some time on this, making something very special. 
which is fascinating because in my mind, I think, if I get to heaven, I'm good, right? I think a lot of us in that spot where we just say, if, I'm, if I make it through the door, I'm good. But that's not what Jesus says. In fact, he talks about it, and he talks about creating this special place for us. All over the Bible, even himself, in Matthew 4, 17, he says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This one's interesting. Your rewards in heaven. So part of heaven, he goes up there and he creates this place and he says, I am going to put all your rewards there. And again, I say, wait, what do you mean rewards? What is that, what is that all about? And yet he talks about this in several places. Last week, I was in uh, Siberia, which isn't a setup for a joke. I really went there. And it's exactly what you're thinking in your mind right now of what it looks like. Yeah, that, that is exactly what it looks like. And I'm there, I'm cold, and I'm going around with the pastor. And the pastor was amazing. He has the entire city in, in like quadrants. And then he has pastors overseeing every part of the city. Like his mind and mine, I was all, this guy is awesome. I love this. And he had all down to where there was a, he called them social ministries. And the different pastor would go to the different places in that part of the city and visit those that he called socially disadvantaged families, which was almost everyone. And you go into these houses, I went with them, and their house was about as big as a rug, and some were just complete concrete, others were like wood that was stacked up on the, the side of the house, and they would have this single pane window. And I was already cold, and it was summer, it gets to minus 40 there, and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, how cold does this house get? Which explains the fire literally in the middle of the house. They would, in fact, a lot of the stories were when our house caught on fire, and I just thought, eh, it makes sense, because I probably would light a fire in my bedroom if it was minus 40 degrees, not caring that the house catches on fire. But I'm going along with this, and we get to one house, and there's a 17-year-old girl, and she has her one-year-old daughter. And her 16-year-old sister, they're taking care of this house together. The mom is at work. The dad is non-existent, which was most stories. And my heart was breaking for this, these two girls because we threw this VBS. And so they would come to the VBS, and you could see that they were children. They were childlike in their just wanting to play and have fun. But watching them take care of their home it was heartbreaking. In fact, they, I'm wearing this today because they gave it to me, and it's a reminder to just lift them up in prayer. And I'm all week long in that, in another um, the homeless ministry, which was basically people being left in their old age outside in the middle of winter because they can't take care of them, and they built a home for them, and on and on and on, and just this incredible ministry. And we're at dinner, and one of the people on our team asked the pastor, like, I was barely listening. I was in a different mindset. And they said, you know, this is so incredible. You are so awesome, talking about the pastor, and how selfless and how, how, how you just have given so much here. And the pastor said something that caught my attention. This is why I, I, I heard it and jumped back into this conversation. He said, 
I am not selfless at all. I just know I'm going to have a lot more rewards than you in heaven. <laughs> and I, he was being facetious, and we were all laughing. And I thought, you know what's funny? It's true. Uh, the more I read scripture, the more I come across these verses that kind of says that. And he's sort of understood this concept of don't build up your rewards here in this short time on earth. Send your rewards in heaven. The Bible speaks of this in several places. 1 Peter 1.3 says, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Though now, for a little while, may, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, they have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, by the way, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. How interesting how often the Bible is telling us what you're trying to hold on here that burns up. People steal it. What you send ahead can't be stolen, and there's a lot of reward that comes from it. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. It's kind of like God is saying, you know what? The tougher your situation is, the more opportunity you have to show Christ the more opportunity you have for rewards. Now catch this, because it's a really different way of thinking. And I, if you've kind of been surfing the message, catch this thought. The more challenging your situation is, the more difficult, the more, the more hardship coming at you, the better off you are to show God in this world. And the, and the more opportunity you have to show God, the more rewards you're building in heaven. I mean, it's so, I don't even get it, but I want to. I want to get it. I want to understand it because I want to send my rewards in heaven. So the tougher my spot is, the more I should be happy, right? Isn't that weird? Maybe I'm the only one. But I want to build rewards that don't expire. There's a lot of good I can do here and people give me accolades for, but I want to build rewards that don't expire. I want to send my rewards ahead. What else do we know about Uranus? 1 John 3, 2 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, this one's interesting, and it also comes up several places. We are going to be like Christ. I use a phrase a lot, be Christ today. And I say it to usually Christians who sort of get it, and they're on sort of a mission field. And I just say it to my, even to my kids when they go to school. I say, be Christ today. Show someone Christ today. And the term comes from the Bible in that the concept is at some point we will be like Christ. So the more we do it now, the more it's going to be understood as we get into heaven. The other phrase I like to use a lot is the lens of Christ. You have to read the Bible with the lens of Christ. Meaning he's, when he brought Jesus into the world, he wanted to show you what God really was. And we're supposed to be like Christ. So when you read the Bible or you, or you 
face life in any way, use a lens of Christ when you do it. In fact, when you're studying scripture, this is how I would encourage you to do it. Start with a gospel. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So that you're getting the, the Jesus, the whole story of Jesus into your mind. Then move to some other part of the Bible. Good stuff. All good stuff. But you have to read it with Jesus in mind when you're reading it. Then after you finish, go back, read another gospel. And then you can read another part of the Bible. Go back and forth. Sermons should go that way in your life. Podcasts should go that way in your life. You want to always keep Jesus at the center because that's what we're supposed to be like. That's what we will be like in heaven. This, this literally says, when we get there, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. More stuff about heaven. The one I think people get really excited about is Luke 24, 42, when he says, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. That's the exciting verse in the Bible. Anybody know why? Those are all good answers, but I want to give you this one. <laughs> this is after Jesus rises from the dead. So what that means is he's eating, which we all get excited. Wait, does that mean we get to eat in heaven? Well, he's eating after the resurrection, which means we can finally eat with no consequence. Just those cupcakes. <laughs> Just bring it all. Lord, give me it all. Uh, I like that one. Another one I like is Hebrews 3 and 4. If you read the entire chapters, he speaks of heaven there, but he speaks of heaven as a place of rest. And this is one of the parts of Scripture where he doesn't mention heaven, but he talks about it for two chapters. So beyond the 274 times, he's telling you more in Hebrews 3 and 4, saying it's a place of rest. And if you're anything like me, that sounds really nice. Like, just for a moment, breathe in through your nose. Go... And then let it out. Let's do it one more time. Isn't that nice? Now, I'm not very good at it. And there's some people who are amazing at, like, meditating and standing on one leg. I'm terrible at rest. And so when I read scripture like this, I go, yes, that does sound like heaven. Finally, truly, having rest. This is the kind of heaven I can get behind. One of the most important questions I get asked is, will my jazzy girl be there? Uh, jazzy happens to be my dog. That's, that's jazz. And uh, maybe because I've been a youth pastor for many, many years, but they seem to always want to know, will my pet be in heaven with me? Now, I know my dog will be. I don't know about yours. Because <laughs> this dog's amazing in every way. But here's what the Bible says. Isaiah 11:6 The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Notice another scripture about heaven without mentioning heaven, which means it's beyond the 274 times. But what you see there is God saying, uh, I created these incredible animals, and you haven't even experienced them yet. The wolf and the, the lion. I mean, you're going to cuddle up with the lion. I don't even know how that works, but I'm excited. But God is basically saying these things that I created that are amazing, yeah, they're going to be there. I don't know about your pet, but there's going to be in a pretty, pretty amazing place full of things that he created. We could go on and on. Like I said, the Bible speaks on this subject. Why did he leave? He wanted to create an incredible place. He talks about relationship there and how deep relationship is. He actually gives pretty specific measurements 
how it's built, what it's built with. He goes on and on. One part he says, in my father's house there are many dwelling places. If you look at the Greek on this scripture, he, the word also is abiding places. He uses it many times when he sends his disciples ahead of time to prepare a place that they're going to do ministry in. They're going to do something there. The last supper was the time he did it. He sent them ahead to make an abiding place. He's using the same Greek language when he's talking about heaven, saying, I'm sending myself ahead to create something for you that's going to be amazing. It's going to have my presence. It's an abiding place for you. So when we talk about why did Jesus leave, on one hand, it was to create something so special that even Scripture says what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. On one hand, it's something so great that your mind can't even conceive what it is. You do not have the capability, so whatever you're thinking, go as far as you want in your mind. You still can't go far enough. On the other hand, he says this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What he speaks of here is the Holy Spirit is now going to enter into the world. Now this is big because we don't know it any other way. When you're reading the Old Testament and you're watching the Israelites or any people group and you're saying, man, they just go back and forth, I don't get it. You need to think of it as a people group that does not have the Holy Spirit flowing amongst them. So that feeling you get when you walk around that sort of makes you think right and wrong, take that out and imagine what the world's like. You now have this feeling in you. Some people reject it, but you know it's there. It's that same thing that your friends always say, yeah, I think there's a God. Yeah, of course you do, because there's this feeling that you don't even understand inside of you. I think there's a God, but I don't believe in your God, which means I don't believe in your church, because your church is crazy. That's really what they're trying to say, right? But they have this feeling. They have this feeling that there is something more going on here. That is the Holy Spirit dwelling in a world. And when Jesus left, he said, that's what I'm dropping in. This is big, because we don't know it any other way. But what that does is it completely changes everything. There's no limitation of location. There's no limitation of language. It can be everywhere at once. Omnipresent is the term used. And not only that, he can be in you and guide you, give you the, the feeling of right and wrong, give you the, the, the correct decision forward. You still have the choice to reject and do it your own way. But if you lean into it, many people don't. Many people still reject it. It's why the world it is the way it is. But if you lean into it, there's a whole array of scripture that begins to tell you, as you understand the spirit that dwells in you, you have a purpose to do things beyond imagination. In fact, the more you lean into it, the more you understand who you are and how you were created and what's inside of you, there is no stopping what you can do in this world. That was what was given to you. There's verses about this all over the place. My favorite is now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. How? How does he do this? How can he do so much more than we can even imagine? According to his power that is at work 
within us. When Jesus left, that's what he left behind, or sent back and said, now it's now going to work within you. And there's no limitation of what can happen. So why did Jesus leave first in your notes to build heaven? Second, to send the Holy Spirit. Finally, the third thing we have is this interceding on our behalf. He says this in Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Now imagine that. Because we kind of just thought they're all the same, but there's something more happening here. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going to be at the right hand of God so that every time you're praying, when you're praying about sickness, when you're praying about pain, whatever it is that you want to lift up to him, when you're praying about your future, your church, where you're supposed to go, he's going to be going, okay, okay. And he's an advocate to God on your behalf. He's up there going, all right, my, my son, my daughter, this is what they're lifting up. This is what they're praying for. This is what they're writing on their card this morning. This is what's being said, and he's an advocate for you, lifting it up to God. Now, I realize just how abstract that thought is and how difficult it is to pull it all together, but it's still there. There's still scripture telling us this is what's happening. Every prayer you lift up, you have someone right there at the right hand of God telling him about you. It's a pretty good reason to leave. So why does he leave us in this world that's so crazy, so weird, so challenging on so many levels? Number one, he's preparing something really special for you called heaven. Number two, he left so that this Holy Spirit could empower you from within. And number three, he's interceding to God himself on our behalf. Some pretty powerful things. And by the way, he's coming back. He says in Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Are you ready for his return? As we close in, in a moment of prayer, I want to make sure if you're here today and you haven't made that first step towards God, Knowing all of this, knowing what he's doing on your behalf, I want to give you that opportunity. Now, I would say a relationship with God is a journey, and there's many steps along the way. You know, there's not this magical prayer and then bam, I got it all, check. No, it's a relationship, and there's steps along the way. And one of the first steps is saying yes to Jesus Christ himself as Lord and Savior. So every head bowed. Every eye closed. If you're in this room and you haven't started there, I just want to give you an opportunity to take that first step. We see in the Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, there's this public confession of faith that's supposed to happen. So the way I'm going to do that this morning is just having you raise your hand. If you're here and you're saying, I need this God, this God who left to create a place called heaven, this God who sent back the Holy Spirit so that I could experience everything in this world that is of him and this God who is interceding on my behalf. If you're here today and you want to say yes to that God, I want you to lift your hand up and say, that's me. I need to make that confession this morning. Let's quickly lift it up. Amen. 
Anyone else? Amen. Lord, I lift up these in their first step. Uh, We know, God, you have called us and said, as we will make these public confessions, that you will acknowledge us in heaven before God. Another moment in which we get to see you intercede. So in this moment, you're interceding on our behalf as they raise their hands and saying, you see that child? That's mine. You see that son? That one's mine. And they're going to be in heaven as they continue to choose me. So God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the simplicity of it, but also all that you do in this moment. And we give you these that raise their hand. In Jesus' name, 